Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Taryn H. DeLong, Managing Editor at Training Industry. And I'm Sarah Gallo, an Associate Editor at Training Industry. This episode of the Business of Learning is sponsored by Training Industry Research. As a training professional, your job is to effectively manage the business of learning. You probably listen to this podcast to gain insights on L&D trends being used by some of the most innovative thought leaders in our market. But did you know that Training Industry also provides data-driven analysis and best practices through our premium research reports? Our entire catalog, including reports on topics such as deconstructing 70-2010, women's access to leadership development, learner preferences, and the state of the training market, just to name a few, can be found at trainingindustry.com slash shop research. New insights create new ways for L&D to do business. Let Training Industry Research Reports assist you in taking your learning initiatives to new heights. Go to trainingindustry.com slash shop research to view our entire catalog. At organizations across the globe, learning leaders are finding new and innovative ways to immerse their learners in training that drives business impact. Today, we're speaking with Megan Castillo, Principal Learning Experience Designer at HubSpot, and Hasti Mehta, Learning and Development Operations Specialist at HubSpot, to learn more about experiential learning. Hasti and Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm super excited to be here. Great. Well, to kick things off today, why don't you start by defining experiential learning for us? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. I think it's really great to first align on a definition because there are quite a few out there, but they originate from cold. So before we get into my very simple definition, I think it's helpful to know a bit of context. David Cole published his experiential learning theory in 1984, which was inspired by work from John Dewey, Kurt Levine, and Jean Piaget. Cole's experiential learning theory is a four-stage cycle of learning that also has four learning styles that complement these stages. Holistically, the model is experience, perception, cognition, and behavior. But now that we've had a little bit of that history lesson, I can give you my very simple definition. I think of experiential learning as just learning by doing. In essence, it's creating an opportunity for learners to not only be introduced to the knowledge or concept, but to apply that in a real-world situation, then reflect on that either through feedback provided by an expert or through personal reflection. With that experience under their belt, learners are then able to hypothesize based on the outcome and really apply this learning to a new and similar experience. It's essentially learning in or as close to the workflow as possible in an L&D context. Thank you so much for that super thorough background, Megan. You know, as someone who doesn't have a formal background in instructional design theory, it's always interesting to hear how things originate. But I'm so glad we're aligned on the definition, which is experiential learning is learning by doing. My take is that experiential learning allows learners to start doing their job in an environment where it's safe to fail. That makes it so much easier to reflect on what could be done better or differently in a low-stakes environment so that a person has more confidence when they're doing it as part of their actual role. So just a quick example, if we're trying to learn how to bake a cake, reading the instructions over and over gives you a great idea of what you need to do in the perfect scenario, but it doesn't allow you to see some of the other variables that might affect your baking experience in the real world. So you don't really know how much time it'll take to prep ingredients, how much or how little to whisk the batter, and you you don't know how much you're going to have to check on the cake when it's cooking because your oven might be different than the one being used in the recipe. But you're not going to learn all these things until you actually do it yourself. Yeah, that's a great example. 
Well, thanks both of you for breaking that down for us. So now that we know what experiential learning is, and it certainly sounds exciting, I'm wondering how we can also make sure that it's strategic. Could you all explain a little bit about how you've incorporated experiential learning into your overall strategy at HubSpot? Yeah, of course, Sarah. So, you know, if we zoom out, we start at the company level. We can see that experiential learning is a core part of the company culture. Our motto is to grow better, which, if you break it down, it's a combination of always be learning and learn by doing. And I think HubSpot moves very quickly, and part of that is due to the fact that we encourage failing and learning from that failure. I think it's called failing forward. And so we try to build this psychologically safe culture from the get-go, which allows folks to not be afraid to take action. And that's really the key piece that allows us to move at a different speed and constantly iterate on our learning programs to make them as effective as possible. Thanks for that, Hosti. If we continue to zoom in a little bit more into our L&D department, our L&D strategy consists of three pillars that really guide all the work that we're doing. So these three pillars for us are help HubSpotters to grow better, cultivate a culture of learning, and ensure that we're creating inclusive human experiences. So these ultimately tie back to the broader HubSpot strategy that ultimately learning happens while doing. When we look into our programs themselves, we've incorporated experiential learning in a myriad of ways. Some of our most effective experiential learning opportunities are these three. One is in our role-specific programs. It's taken some time, but we've ultimately done away with the end-all, be-all exam. There's so much anxiety that goes into that. Some learners just don't perform well on those exams, and it's not really that effective when we look at it through this lens. So instead, we've incorporated numerous role plays throughout that act as somewhat checkpoints to apply what learners have learned in that real-world scenario with their manager acting as the customer. The role plays conclude with personalized and timely feedback, which is objective, and there's a scorecard to really lead this scenario for the manager as well, and it, it ensures that it's focused on the situation and the desired outcomes. We've also got learner-led group activities, which incorporate aspects of social learning and experiential learning, and currently, those are done within breakouts that we'll speak to a bit more about later. These really introduce the group to real customer problems, and we use them to encourage learners to use the resources that they have at their fingertips and really apply what they've learned to think critically to solve the problem and come up with the solutions. And then we close that feedback loop through the facilitator in this role to really course correct. We also have mentorship programs, which allow people to learn from each other there's a lot of structure around these. Uh, we pair the mentor with those new hires, and they ultimately guide them through the process, enable them to experience those concrete situations that are actually what they'll be experiencing in role. They have timeline personalized feedback, and they're ultimately guided by playbooks. Thanks so much for kind of explaining how that works with our strategy. I just want to add that we're always looking to the future. We're focused on the future of work. We're thinking about that. And it's becoming more and more apparent that in a remote-focused world, simulations are going to become more and more relevant. So part of our strategy, as Megan mentioned, is focused on creating an inclusive experience. And part of that is creating personalized, location-agnostic learning experiences. And I think experiential learning will really allow us to create meaningful experiences that help bridge any gaps we find between folks with varying skill sets. 
That's such a great point about inclusion, you know, taking into account where people are learning because there's this year, of course, many people are remote, but I think even after the pandemic, it seems like we're trending in a direction where people will be some at home, some at work, some a little bit of both. So that's a great point. And uh, with that in mind, what tips do you have for how learning leaders can create immersive learning experiences in a virtual environment? Yeah, this is something that I am super passionate about. I'm a full-time remote worker, and I was before the pandemic rolled in, of course. So when we look to that in the lens of experiential learning, there are so many ways to design for this inclusion of immersive learning experiences and feedback to occur in a virtual environment. It really doesn't take much to set the stage to allow learners to engage. Let's set a few ground rules. And then we can really let learners jump into these situations to apply what they've learned. A really key piece to note is that regardless of the modality that we determine, experiential learning really provides that context needed to make the learning relevant and meaningful. The ability for learners to experiment, really be curious, ensure that they're bringing their whole selves to work and building upon those experiences that they have within their lives and bring action to that learning process is really critical. So when we focus in on the virtual environment, we found really great success with breakout groups. There's so much that you can do within a simple breakout group. We've also built in some asynchronous opportunities such as reflection and asynchronous conversation uh, within threads that really encourage learners to use resources and build upon one another's responses. We also have, as I alluded to earlier, learner-led group activities whether that's live or involves experiencing content on their own and then reconnecting as a group to really debrief, especially getting some of that feedback there as well. And then role play assessments with scorecards, answer sheets. One really key aspect here that we hadn't originally thought through to the fullest extent was ensuring that we're essentially providing these answer sheets, whether that's through a quick video format or whatever that is to allow for more of an asynchronous element to come into play within the virtual learning experience. I think, you know, we've been experimenting with these different ways to create immersive learning experiences in virtual environments. And we've, looking back, we found a couple of helpful tips, such as having a smaller group of attendees. I think ideally, when possible, a group of 12 is the perfect size to engage more folks. That's a lesson we've learned, but it's hard to put into practice Depending on the content that you're delivering, you know, you may have to go up or down in participant size. But another lesson learned is to have an additional person who's able to engage with the participants or the learners while someone else is facilitating. I believe that this role is commonly called a producer role. I really think that it can help folks feel like they can engage more because someone else is there to answer questions, help them out. And of course, you know, it helps a facilitator to manage all of the interactions with the learners so that they can foster this environment of increased engagement. Uh, you bring up a great point there about engagement. Um, I think we all have heard stories or even experienced ourselves of people just tuning out in virtual learning experiences. So what tips do you have for really keeping learners engaged when they're learning from home in these experiential learning situations? Definitely. So I think first and foremost, bring the energy. You know, the energy is what sets the tone. Learners will play off of the energy and tone that you set. So we know it's exhausting to be on camera and engage in that way, but it's so worth it to set the standard by having your camera on and encouraging your learners to do the same. We've worked a lot on our culture to create psychologically safe environments at HubSpot. 
shameless plug here, check out our culture code. But this has really proven to be a critical piece to increase engagement. But taking a step back, if we're looking at experiential learning, regardless of the modality, it's really important to do two things. One, tie it to a metric that is relevant to the learners so they can better understand their improvement in relation to ramping in their role as they go along and complete the experience. And second, have clear objectives that really spell out the WIFM, which is what's in it for me. You know, what's the benefit that they will obtain by going through the experience? If this is communicated before the experience begins, they'll be so much more motivated to put in the work for the experience and the results that you've laid out before. Yeah, and adding to that, Hosti, to be completely transparent, we're thinking very much about the future of work. And I think we all are. That's a really relevant term nowadays, especially going through everything that we are in 2020. It's becoming more and more apparent that virtual experiences are here to stay. We want to continue to allow our learners to engage from wherever it is that they may be working. Looking at it from this lens of developing location agnostic experiences, any sort of tool that really allows folks to gather and be together virtually is going to make more experiential learning activities possible. The ability to create breakouts, as I referenced before, and really infuse elements of gamification, such as creating healthy competition, really aid to drive that engagement. A crowd favorite here has been the use of Mentimeter. We used to use Kahoot. We recently switched to Mentimeter. It's been really, really great for content debriefs and alignment. And we've gotten some really promising feedback from learners on that. Shameless plug, we just released our 2020 remote work report, which highlights that nearly 50% of employees feel a great sense of belonging and connection with their team or with their company when everyone works remotely. This really supports what we've been learning over the past few months, that learners crave connection and the ability to get to know their peers, to converse and learn from one another. This is just another reason we should focus our energy on creating engaging virtual experiences. Not only does this level the playing field, but it really aligns with where we're going with the future of work. Collaborative learning is a critical aspect that needs to be more intentionally designed within the virtual environment, because really when we think about it, there's so much less opportunity for it to occur organically as it would in a typical classroom environment when we're all physically gathered together. That banter just continues to it's just more natural. So within the virtual environment, we really need to be intentional about that design. Definitely. That's a great point, Megan. And I think while, of course, as learning leaders, we always try to engage our learners, it's definitely more important when a lot of us are still working from home right now due to the coronavirus pandemic. So thanks for those tips. All right. So now that we've discussed how to keep learners engaged in virtual experiential learning initiatives, what other challenges are today's learners facing and how can experiential learning help solve them? That's a great question. And I think it comes back to the current state of the world. You know, I think the biggest challenges that learners face right now are competing demands and having everything at their fingertips and easily accessible. So with the coronavirus pandemic, we're all being pulled in a million different directions. From being employees to caregivers, our focus is no longer on one thing at a time. And in our 2020 remote work report, we found that 73% of folks have taken on childcare or caregiving responsibilities at home, which inevitably affects their levels of engagement when participating in anything, especially learning programs. 
And this current reality is causing our personal and professional lives to blend together in a way that we've never seen before. That, in conjunction with being in an age where there's this need for instant gratification, makes it so difficult to fully be fully present in a learning experience anymore. So if we're solely relying on our asynchronous training to upskill our workforce, we're really missing the mark. Experiential learning allows us to take a break and it forces modern learners to change gears. There was a time when we could conduct isolated learning events in a classroom. We could engage with other people in person and we could really immerse ourselves in that experience. With everything being virtual now, including our work, entertainment, family, and basically everything in our life is online, we're really competing for attention in a way that we haven't had to before. That's such a great point, Hasti. Just a few weeks ago, when I was facilitating our virtual onboarding experience at HubSpot, I really observed some of these challenges that learners faced in real time. For example, when I was introducing one of the first immersive learning experiences that we have them go through, the shift in energy was almost tangible. Even though it was still in a virtual environment, I could really see that folks were more attentive because people were looking more engaged and dialed in through their video in the little Zoom squares. The chat was suddenly a bit more active. There was a slight look of panic because at that moment, learners realized that they were going to have to fully participate. They could no longer sit in the back of the class with their video turned off. They were going to be in much smaller groups to participate in a learner-led activity. So this time would really allow them to engage and think critically with their peers to put what they've learned into action. And that's really what it's all about. The moment of apply is when things all come together for a learner. So if we're not creating these experiences for application of the learning in context, we're really doing them a disservice. To Hostie's earlier point, that's when unidentified variables may surface, and learners are confronted with additional possibilities and are forced to really test that and figure it out. It's essentially creating that light bulb moment in the virtual environment. You know, Megan, actually, that makes me think, as you're explaining this and the, the future of work is changing, it makes me wonder, do you think that L&D's role within an org is changing? We've always done things in a certain way, but it feels like we're on the brink of something new and exciting. Yeah, I could not agree more with you on that, Hasti. I know we've been hearing this at conferences for years and things have been changing, but really this feeling that we're moving at the speed of light and things are changing much faster than normal is exacerbated by this current situation that we find ourselves in. Companies have had to adapt and be profitable, get people up and running faster and with much less support than normal. It's not that this wasn't the case before, but it's much more apparent during these unprecedented times as we live through a global pandemic. This is really the challenge that everyone is facing across the board, whether it's learners or L&D professionals. L&D's role is changing. It's time we changed our strategy and our approach to really focus on performance. The business challenge that I think it's safe to say we're all presented with is enabling performance. Having new hires take calls, support customers, sell the product sooner, do the thing, like actually perform in role. This coupled with the reality that new hires are really eager to get into role faster than sometimes our programs are built to allow them to do so, it's really where both experiential learning and performance support come into play and work hand in hand. I feel very passionately about giving credit where credit is due 
And I really need to acknowledge that Bob Mosher and Dr. Khan Gottfriedson's Five Moments of Need Certificate Design Program has really been informing our approach here and has really helped to kind of pave the way. So at HubSpot, we use experiential learning in our live experiences and are upskilling ourselves and continuing to build out performance support for those in-role, in-the-workflow, and on-the-job experiences. We've talked about, you know, experiential learning when it goes well, but what are some common mistakes that you've seen organizations make or maybe made yourselves when you were starting out when first implementing experiential learning? I think this is a great question. It really forces us to, you know, take a look at ourselves and see where we could improve. But thinking about that, I think that there are three common mistakes that we as an industry make. The first being lack of trust in our learners, whether that be to follow simple instructions, lead their own peer groups, complete the task at hand, whatever it is. We don't always trust a learner. And that really backfires, you know? We know that people will rise to the occasion. And if we lay a solid foundation, explain the WIFM, the what's in it for me, and we encourage them, they will definitely surprise us. We've got to learn to trust our learners and give them that chance to wow us. Second, I think I find that we're often jumping into AR, VR, and new technologies too soon. I'm a learning technologist. This is all very exciting. I love looking at new technology, but it's really difficult and tough for us to make a connection between our experiences and our technology if we're not scoping out the use case enough to make a solid connection to the business outcomes. Not doing that will make the experience feel difficult and disconnected from the rest of the training process. Um, and third, I don't think that we invest much in the feedback part of the experiential learning process. We never really know how well we're doing something until we actually perform. And that's when everything really comes together, that light bulb moment. And the ability to receive real-time personalized feedback from experts is really critical to being able to quickly improve and adapt. You know, it's imperative to design those feedback loops within our experience so that we can ensure learners are receiving that feedback about the application of knowledge on time. And from a learner's perspective, I think it could be nice to learn the concept and do the thing, but it's not great if you're not receiving that timely and personalized feedback because it can lead to frustration and misalignment because they're not getting the confirmation they need. Um, and just another thing is that, you know, our learners want to be able to perform better, as Megan said, and do well in their role. Whether or not they ace a 10-question quiz embedded in a 30-minute e-learning course is not going to affect them in the same way as real-time relevant feedback might. Great. And just a quick follow-up on that. You mentioned the importance of feedback in the experiential learning experience. Do you have any tips for how learning leaders can actually integrate that into the experience for our learners? I think it's really critical to just keep it simple especially in terms of when we're asking managers or other subject matter experts to jump in and provide this expertise. I think it's really helpful to boil it down to maybe there's like three outcomes that we are looking for them to get that objective feedback on. So really important to help our our experts that are coming into the solution to really make that easy for them, whether that's through a quick scorecard or quick bullet points that can really help to guide them rather than leaving it 
up to them or leaving that more open for subjectivity there. So three words that one of my peers and friends in the industry really recommends around feedback, Megan Underwood, is for feedback to be constructive, meaningful, and timely. So however we can put some really brief and overlying guidelines around that to provide that structure can really help. Great. All right. Well, I think it's important to remember when we're talking about experiential learning that today's learning leaders are (laughs) responsible for delivering training on a variety of topics, you know, whether it's a course on racial bias or a new coding language. Are there any training topics that you believe are more suited for experiential learning than others? And if so, what are they and why are they good fits? This is such a great question, especially because, as we all know, things change so quickly. We are expected to have higher skills, as you mentioned, coding. There's data that's coming into play. There's so much that's going on. But really, given what we know about experiential learning, there doesn't seem to be a wrong answer here in terms of topics that you can solve or help to bring to learners through experiential learning. So really, I think it boils down to your imagination is the only thing that will limit you in this way. Of course, it's imperative to really partner with the business and align on the performance metrics that you're aiming to build proficiency in before concluding on a learning loop and a format and all of the details that really come into the experiential learning process. As we mentioned, a lot of our learning experiences contain aspects of experiential learning And we're actively working to revamp and increase the amount of connection to that in-role performance through our onboarding experiences and beyond. But really, the topics can be endless. I think there's so many different ways to work that and to formulate that to make it fit. So whether you're in your first day at HubSpot or you're well into your career, you're really likely to encounter experiential learning in one way or another throughout your career. Just to add to that, we've got an example from HubSpot. We've got a program that really exemplifies the experiential learning elements, and that is uh, SkillSpot. It's our global professional development program. Every learning experience created for SkillSpot has been modeled on experiential learning theory. So, for example, SkillSpot's courses focus on more than just the virtual experience itself. We have practical application and feedback loops embedded into the journey through nudges which help the learner prepare for the experience on their own time and through reinforcement tips after the experience to encourage application. Thanks for that example. So to wrap things up today, why would you encourage other learning leaders to embrace experiential learning in their organizations? I would really encourage it because it's so much more effective than the traditional one-way lecture or content delivery via an e-learning course or an isolated training event, which we've been so accustomed to doing. We've been so accustomed to pushing knowledge at learners, and it's so important to really engage them in this process. As we mentioned earlier, our role is really changing within L&D. The outdated approach is really centered around the simple exchange of that time for information, and it's ultimately taking too long. It's a lot of learners' time invested in learning such high-level concepts, It lacks context, and ultimately, it's not actionable. Learners are having to unlearn that and relearn in the context of their actual role to try to understand what they're they're going to do each day in role and, and what that day in the life is in terms of performance. So we've found a way to make this transfer of information much more effective and more meaningful 
as I referred back to Kolb earlier, this has been around for quite some time, but we're not really doing it. And we're not doing it across the board. There's so many opportunities to do so. I really like to always come back to this quote that one of my mentors told me many years ago. And she said that the seven most expensive words in the English language are, we have always done it this way. And it's so true because if we continue to do things the old way of essentially doing things in L&D where we're pushing information at learners and not necessarily engaging them as we should, it can be very costly, as we can see. Our budgets aren't changing. Again, another reality that's coming at us is that we need to be much more effective in this. So through experiential learning, the combination of content, the application, the reflection, and really the synthesis of that activity to create new knowledge for learners is incredibly effective. And it's so much more meaningful and memorable for the learner. So I think ultimately it's the right thing to do. I'm not going to lie. I was counting the words in that statement. We have always done it this way. There are definitely seven. Um, but uh, I think, the you know, for me, the lesson about giving a man a fish versus teaching him how to fish really sums everything up when it comes to experiential learning. If we continue to provide to only provide the materials for folks to learn from, we aren't setting them up for the same type of success as we could if we gave them the actual hands-on experience. And I think this brings us back full circle to my bake a cake analogy. That makes me think that maybe we could update the saying to give a person cake versus teach a person to bake. Just a thought. I love it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end. <laughs> Perfect. Well, all right. With that, Hasti and Megan, thank you both so much for joining us today on The Business of Learning. Thank you so much for having us. It was really a pleasure to be here today. Thank you both. It was awesome. You're going to have to go find some cake now. <laughs> <laughs> to learn more about experiential learning, check out the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.